check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Wolfcast is brought to you by Draw the Wolves Basketball Club and I'll be your host Noel. I'm delighted to be joined on our first episode by our current head coach for our men's national team, Gavin Garland. Thank you for joining and I hope you enjoy. Hi and welcome to the Wolfcast. Wolfcast is brought to you by Draw the Wolves and I'm your host Noel. On the Wolfcast today I'm joined by Gavin Garland. How you doing? Gavin is, Gavin is the head coach of Draw the Wolves National League men's team. Gavin has also he is also a tutor of our of the basketball Ireland. He has coached Queen's National League. He's played for Queen's Super League. He's also a huge hit at our camps with full of his energy and enthusiasm. So, Gav, how are you? I'm doing great today. Great to see people getting out and playing again. It's great, isn't it? So, yeah. Let's start with everything. So, we'll see what everything that there is. So, how's COVID or lockdown be treating you? Um, I think the second lockdown is hard on everyone. I've heard everyone's podcast saying the same thing. It's just the bad weather. There's less to do. I think people enjoyed winding down and relaxing in the good weather in the first lockdown. Second lockdown is a little bit more realistic for everyone. Um, and we're just grateful that we've got through it. People haven't. Um, and they've had deaths and losses. So um, to get out the other side and hopefully get back to some type of normality is everything you can ask for, I think. I think that's all we can do is just look forward and stay positive. And obviously, I know, obviously, with you living in the north, your your guidelines or things are, are being a little bit more easier and relaxed up there for you. And we're slowly catching up. Yeah, I think that's just the vaccines. We'll all catch up by hopefully the summer. Fingers crossed. So let's go right back to the very start. So what or who got you into basketball or how did you get started in basketball? I was Probably um, a very different pathway from most. Um, I was a rugby player in Methody and I had some serious injuries. And then the coach of my rugby team um, said, try basketball to build up your leg. I investigated, was there any basketball teams? And up north, basketball was in big trouble. Um, and there wasn't any clubs. And I was lucky enough that... Um, some coaches of girls' teams let me play. So senior women's teams let me play. So Deidre O'Connor um, allowed me to play. And Barney Ball, who's probably a legend up north, um, allowed me to play for Sport in Belfast, which is a national league team. He made me assistant coach referee, but there were always lower numbers. And then I got to play. Um, and it's really how I learned basketball. Like I was probably 14, 15 at that stage. And then when I turned 16, um, a few youth workers um, started a team called Rosario and a man, a great man called Frankie alone um, started some club basketball. I think it went through schools before that. Um, but as the sport was dwindling up north um, and there's a whole story behind why it was dwindling, if you ever want me to get into politics of that. Um, <laughs> but um, Frankie, a great man called Paul McKee, who was coaching Jordanstown there recently, started a club league and it was basically Rosario, Dungannon, uh, Strabane, um, uh, Star and Balamina. And we played once a month only. Um, and then because I was 16, I was allowed to play senior for Rosario. So I played senior men's with them. 
for uh, one and a bit years before another injury. So um, then um, I moved to Queen's, was Irish Youth Club. It got too popular and they needed a proper court. And so they moved up to a place called Carry Duff. That was too far from me. I lived in another side of town. And so then I started training with Queen's University, um, even though I was still young. And then that's how I got connected with Queen's. They started a youth team. Um, I played a little bit, broke my leg again, and then was lucky enough to get into coaching basically at a young age um, via Queen's varsities and National League. So like, like kind of me, like you've not been enthralled in basketball from a very young age and you've, you've played different sports and found your way to basketball. Do you think playing a different sport or playing multiple sports gave you an advantage on basketball? I think playing multiple sports gives anyone an advantage in anything, uh, not only for um, balance as in life balance, but also just physically and gamesmanships. I think it really, really helps. But obviously at some stage you have to specialise um, and go into it but um, would I have liked to have seen basketball earlier yes I would have because I was a great driver and I could finish with both hands because I listened to my coach when I first started playing um, and I could kick but just my touch of the ball my shooting was never good and I knew from a young age um, well not a young age but I knew at 18 19 that I was probably more useful as a coach while if I had started maybe at 10 11 um, maybe my touch would be better and I may have played on a little bit more, but at a young age, I realized I actually could help my team and my club more coaching. So I gave up the chance to play. I could have played again. I could have came back and played again, but I gave up the chance because I thought I could help my team more coaching. That's cool. So any of us that know you obviously know your, your huge passion for the game and energy. So obviously, which you saying you had such a late start in the game or a late bloom or, or you came to the game late. What really ignited your passion for the game of basketball? How did you fall in love with it? Or like anyone that knows you and sees you when you come to camp or when you're at club, like you're just this ball or bundle of energy and it's, it's infectious to everyone. Well, I can actually remember the exact time. So I was just playing with the girls for fitness because my rugby coach told me to do that. So the girls thing, although appreciated, it was just to get my legs back in shape and get back in the fitness. Um, but what, moment was was I was doing GCSE art and I went to a photo session and said and I remember seeing the Michael Jordan I didn't watch the NBA when I was young I remember the Michael Jordan picture on the free throw line and it was just dotted his flight pattern so I went to an international tournament called the Milk Cup and it was the first proper basketball I'd seen so I played with girls for a year or a year and a bit um, and then Barney said go down and see some proper basketball. And it was the thing called the Milk Cup. I think Gareth Maguire and Adrian were playing with the Irish team, but there was a Belfast team and then there was Colester. Um, and I just remember seeing Randall Mount and I got, now this was years ago. So I think it was Hillary Scott. Um, and Randall was just thunder. He just dunked it in everyone. He intimidated everyone. And Randall was the way I liked basketball. He was just a thin, mean shack and a gentleman off the court, which is just amazing. Um, um, but then Hillary Scott did a move that I'd never seen in any other sport I'd ever played. And I always tell everyone about it because it's just the clearest thing. I don't know who it was underneath them, but Hillary had beat someone at the top. I think it was Paul Rigby um, at the top. He made a crossover and Hillary had jumped up 
to do a finger roll from basically just inside the free throw line. And he had let go of the ball. And I think it was JD, uh, Javan Dupree, who was Stars pro for years and was unbelievable at basketball. I think it was JD. And I'm not sure if it was Gabe Jackson, but it was a player like Gabe Jackson, a big athletic player, went up to block it. And Hillary in midair put his hand back on top of the ball. So he let go of it with a finger roll, and then he turned in midair, stretched his legs out and extended, and then dunked it, and his fingertip, just his middle finger, grabbed the rim, and he pulled himself beyond the baseline. And I just never seen anyone fly like that and dunk like that. And it was just a move, and everyone's jaw just dropped, and that went crazy at this tournament. Uh, but that moment was like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I've seen Hillary Scott. I played against him once. Uh, I think Randall was on the same team as well. And just an amazing ball handler. He was very thin and very light. And then Randall was the hammer. And it was just great. But even watching Gareth McGuire and Adrian Fulton um, play with the Irish teams, and then the guys I knew, Jimmy Edgar, um, Paul Rigby, uh, were playing with the Northern Ireland or Belfast team, whatever it was at the time. It was watching people that I was now aware of and watching a top-level game. Um, I, that was just amazing. And that was when I watched top-quality basketball and said, this is far better than soccer. Um, it's far better than Gaelic as far as I was concerned at that stage. And I was a big Gaelic fan up to then. I just thought it was better than Gaelic. And then the only other thing that really kind of meets with that passion was Dungarvan for the community. Dungarvan basketball a camp was just an experience that I'd never had experience and I kept on going back. Um, even though um, I was injured and ended up not playing, I had to do the referees course during my injuries when I first signed up. Um, and then I did the coaching courses and then I volunteered as a helper and then I became a lead coach there. I thought the Garvin's sense of community, the coaches, Danny Fulton, Murray Lee, and the big one for me was Al Marshall. They all looked after me. They knew I knew nothing. <laughs> they looked after me and they taught me loads in those three, four weeks, and I would try to study through books uh, and because you didn't have video on YouTube in those days. And I would try to learn because there was so little basketball knowledge up here. People like Paul McCrory and um, um, Danny Fulton would really help me out. Um, but they were in opposite teams and I wouldn't get much time to talk to them. And when you're sitting with coaches every night after camp, um, some people spent a lot of time. And even the people when I was a player uh, or doing the referees, of course, the sense of community, made, I think, basketball one of the best sports there was. There was that sense of competition, the skill um, and athleticism there is with that, but also the sense of community. When you listen to other people's podcasts, talking about different people, they're all still friends now. And the Masters tournaments, I think, is yeah. the highlight yeah. of that, that there's people 30 years on who see each other and act like they've never missed each other. Very much so. With some of the conversations I've had quite recently as well, like, um, sense of community is something I think that's unique to obviously basketball and our sport in regards like like with someone I was talking to quite recently like you could be from here and go to Kerry and look to play a pickup game and no one's gonna go well who's he or what's that or it's just it's this whole sense of community and togetherness that you're welcome anywhere and obviously as you said like you've mentioned some legends in the game that like helped and mentored you and Obviously, I've been very fortunate to be in that position as well with our club, but anyone will, will take the time and talk to you and 
you know, it doesn't matter your level or, you know, if you're a Super League coach or an international coach or a coach starting out or a player starting out. Like, if you have the respect and go to someone and ask them a question, they're always willing to help and to engage and to talk. And I even found last year with, with ourselves, like, when we went to Temple Oak, like, you know, I'm looking at the men's, men's coach for Ireland. He also happens to be the head coach for Temple Oak. And he's such a nice gentleman. Like, in, you know, he answered questions for me. And he'd be, he, you could see his enthusiasm going, oh, this is someone I've never met before. I don't know, but he's in the basketball community and very happy to engage and to talk. And same with, talk, same with talking to Puff or even Jason Clean. Like, you know, these are big superstars in the game who are very willing to take their time and talk to you and, you know, engage and help any way they can. And even if it's just something small and talking to someone. So I can only imagine for Temple Oga or even for us as a club, like when you have some of our little, little members of our Wolfpack coming in, looking up to our guys and, our guys take that time and opportunity to stop and have a chat and have a conversation or help. Like there, there are things for me in regards to community that's going to help, you know, grow. But I think it's also, it's starting foundations in regards to building memories for, or for these kids, but it's also helping the game. Oh, hey, I, I can get there. I can do that. That can be me someday. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, so with that and we're talking about memories, what's the best basketball memory or the best basketball game you've been involved that just sticks there or stands out? Oh, I have to be soppy in this one. Um, <laughs> you know, we've won all Ireland and I've done international. I had done international upsets and stuff like that. But as a coach, I think you're there for the players and you're happy for them. And I have to be soppy. It has to be your own daughter. And so my daughter's team, I took them for a year there at under 12s. And they had a great game against Star earlier in the season. Um, and it went to triple overtime. And the, me and the other coach in Star, uh, Kira, said, let's stop it here. We're going to run the kids right. It was a great game, triple overtime. And that was great. And then, so towards the end of the season, our girls have progressed. They really came along. And I always say to my teams, my happiest times when I'm sitting, I don't have to coach anymore. The work's been done. And I feel like it. And we were in the final. And for our Grace, it's the first time she was probably only 300 people there, but it was a small gym. And it felt like way, 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 way more. And for her to play in front of that crowd and for the team to play well, I think we won like by 30, 30 points or something like that. But I could sit there and watch my daughter play and I was part of it. Um, but they played so well. And we got in all 15 girls and we had another five girls that weren't allowed to play, but we've been training with us all year. And it's a little bit different when you're a parent. Um, and so even though we've won all Ireland, even though we have big upsets, and we as a National League team without pros had upsets in a Super League Cup in the old days, you got those things were great, but they have to be soft. You don't, it has to be your daughters. So winning that Ulster Championships for her under 12s and for her to play so well that and you know I yell and coach for me to sit down oh. and trust the players. Um it was just great, and it was probably it's my biggest memory because I was just so delighted for her, and I'm so pleased, you know. Yeah, well, look, obviously, as you said, like it pulls in your emotional heartstrings, and it's something that's close to home. So, this is why it's going to be such a great, great memory for you. And obviously, when you see, you know, when you get this little group of players together, and you see the evolution, and you yeah. see things starting to click, for me, that's the great thing. Like 
when I first got started in the club and I see some of the players now like 10 plus years on later or some of the kids I've coached in the academy a couple of years ago and we see them playing in the 12s now and you just see that development that gives me such great joy yeah so with that and obviously for me I've been very lucky to have some great inspirations in the game here who's been your biggest inspiration in the game as a player as a coach or, or someone who's influenced you externally I would say outside the game, the person that's looked after me is Mary Matthews, who ran Queens, who should be the Maeve of, of Queens. Uh, but she never coached. She just organized everything. But she was at every game, every session. We had 37 teams at one stage, wow. and she'd be there for them all. And she had no personal. She just wanted, she was very much, the only thing we disagree with is obviously I want performance, and Mary wants participation. And she, but she was always there for every child to do everything and to volunteer so much and give up so much time for everyone else's joy. She's the reason why I volunteered so much in Queens and, and did so much. Um, and it was always very hard to leave Queens because of that relationship and what she's done there and come down to draw her wolves. So Mary off the court, on the court, I had to think about it. And I have to mention, so when I came in to start coaching, I was 19. And I was coaching, I'd only been playing for a year and a half, two years probably. And it was my first year coaching National League. I have to mention the three Kennedys. Um, uh, Simon, Jason and Gavin, not related. But <laughs> all guys that played Super League for 10 years before me. And um, and I, one of the McCotters, Eamon McCotter played for me as well. And they really helped me because I was awful. I was totally inexperienced. And they backed me up in the training sessions, allowed me to run my sessions. And then they came, talked to me afterwards and helped me get better for those three, first three, four years and helped me develop a coaching style and ethos. And so those boys really helped me succeed because if they didn't back me up, obviously I was a terrible coach. The reason why a 19 year old gets brought into National League who has no experience is just there was a lack of options, lack of volunteers at that stage. Um, and they allowed me the opportunity to make mistakes and grow, which is what I try to do to four by players now, is give them that opportunity to make mistakes and grow. So I would say the three Kennedys and Eamon McCutter um, really, really helped me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's good. And like, obviously, as you're saying, like, you know, going in as a young coach at that level and you've seen your players, it's always a tricky one. Um, you know, you've seen your players who are there and they're like, who's this young guy? But for them to see and for them to obviously for the better, the better of the greater good in regards that they could see, hey, look, we need to give them a chance. And by doing that, we need to get behind them. And, you know, as he said, like they would take you at the end and, and talk to you. But that's their way of mentoring or helping. And that, I think, comes back to the community aspect of they are yeah. realizing that he's our coach. You know, we got to work with him and, and that's the way it's got to be. And those guys were great for it, and I, I really appreciate it. And if it wasn't for those, but again, it's a community thing. And I mentioned all those other names, the likes of uh, Mr. McKee and Balamina helped me, um, uh, some Malachis, all the coaches there, the Fultons, everyone really helped me. But little bits, but I would say on a weekly basis for the first three, four years, if it wasn't for the Kennedys, I think I would have probably been kicked out and um, doing something else now. And uh, look, aren't we glad for them three, three Kennedys? Absolutely. So you can look at this both ways. You can look at this as a player or a coach. Who's your favourite teammate? Um, well, I'm going to say my best friend. So for the wee bit that I played, uh, JP, 
was the big man. We thought we were stocked on Malone and we won a few wee things, Ulster titles. Um, and he, he was the big 6-3 power forward um, who ran the break well and was a powerhouse for playing with. Um, but coaching-wise, just watching, and he was 15 years ahead of what we are doing now, which is all this dynamic play. But obviously in Spain, that happened a lot before. We had a guy who came in and totally shook us up called Ben Sanchez. He had played through Saragotta's system, actually went to Barcelona Juniors and came over for a year out here and actually stayed for another year because he enjoyed Belfast so much. <laughs> um, but Ben was just a super player to play against. He scored 42 against England in an international game. We He was our pro when we played in the Super League Cup. We didn't ban a... Um, and a couple of other teams that were Castle Bar brought in pros for just the cup because National League teams were like, we didn't. We just played with the guys we had. But Ben actually had two big games where he upset um, teams for it. Um, and he was, um, it was Ginobili. Ginobili hadn't happened yet. But that's, he was a bigger, thicker Ginobili. He was stronger, a little bit shorter, obviously. But he was that style of play where you couldn't control him. You had to let him go, but it was beautiful. Um, but it took us six months to get used to it. And it got, took six months for me to let go and just understand that's what's going to happen here. Um, but, you know, uh, I'd say probably coaching-wise, he, he was unique for us at that stage when now we're probably trying to develop players like that constantly with dynamic play all the way. No, and it's it's good. Like obviously for us, obviously with our national team, like we've we've quite a variation. But like you can see, you can see when pro players come in or players like if you know for us like Rafa, obviously coming from Spain, you can see that different style and that different flair, or yeah, just a completely different philosophy on basketball and regards so attack minded, move the ball. Where Ireland, we're slowly starting to get out of playing zones and. But I think I think them influences into the game, and obviously you can see obviously the meant Spanish or or international coaches around the league and national league or super league or even at clubs. You can see that influence growing in Ireland and different styles coming out. And I think it's super to see. Well, Rafa is a good parallel. If you look at Rafa and our team, Rafa's um, gift to the team is he's always two steps ahead, whether it be thinking about the next pass or defensive play, seeing where the next person's passing to or cutting to, you know, and his backdoor cuts. It's the same type of thing, but it was 15 years ago when I was brought up in a static system um, where you had to do A, B, and C. Um, he was the first person that really opened my eyes that, you know, we need to be able to react and then defenses can't anticipate what you're doing because people are not doing A, B, and C. They're reading the situation and doing it. So, yeah, no, I'd say Ben Sanchez. Nice. So, who's the best player you've played with, or who's the best player you've coached? Now, time to maybe hurt some players' feelings. Well, I, I put that. Oh no, um, I was going to put that in the same area as the best, um, best player I played with or coached. See, Ben would be that. I would say I'm going to have to say Ben. If I, if I had to pick another one above them, I would say. Peter McGrathen um, had a foot problem, but I had a year with him when I was just playing. And Peter McGrathen is Ewan McGrathen's brother. I know Ewan played and had a reputation for, for himself um, with Star, but I thought Peter was a, 
a combination of you and he had you in shot when he had athleticism where he could shoot probably four or five foot outside the uh, three-point line, but he could fake and take one bounce and he was super athletic. He could get he would remind me of um uh, Lorkin uh, Murphy okay. style of player, but could shoot and he was a lefty. He was a lefty and the lefty gave him an advantage as well. And I just remember thinking I'd like to like to you know be him when I was playing with him. So I was only 17 the one year training with him, but he had foot issues unfortunately and he had to stop. But he to me was phenomenal and he was above the Irish players. He could shoot like Gus Donnelly, um, he could dribble like David McCotter. Um, but yeah, was a, he was super athletic and strong with Gavin Kennedy and Simon Kennedy. I think he was a great combination, and it's just unfortunate we didn't see him more. That happens sometimes, but there's, yeah. just going back there, there's something about a left-handed player, especially someone someone who's big and gets inside the paint, just finishes off the left. It's for, for us, obviously, here, it's rare to see someone naturally be left-handed, but there's just something about it, isn't there? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and then, American-wise, uh, we had Tyler Roman um, when I was playing the Super League, obviously, and I trained with Tyler. And Tyler was sexy at small forward, um, and he could, he did that move where he took a bounce and just planned it with one hand, got in for the dunk, or he could just shoot the three. And 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 Tyler was probably the best American. I played with very very smooth. It, it just seemed to be one speed, and he seemed to always be in control and calm. But his strides were just so big and athletic, he just could get to the basket. So I think Tyler Roman was probably the best American that in my short window I probably played with. Nice. So obviously knowing your style of basketball that I do now in regards to the energy and the tempo and the hustle, who's yeah. the hardest player, oh, sorry, who's the hardest working player you have coached? Oh, easy, Stephen Dawson. Stephen okay. Dawson um, uh, for us was just consistently 25 points a game on the fast break and on steals and Literally, the rule was catch a rebound, throw it to the half court, and Stephen would go get it and beat everyone. Um, Stephen Dawson uh, did it in varsities, did it in National League. Um, I think he got asked to play for Great Britain in the universities team, the World University Championships, um, after his um, um, uh, Northern Ireland NIU universities game. I think he got asked to come over for Great Britain. And then when we won the All-Irelands and we didn't go Super League, he was one of the seven players moved to UU who went Super League and Star that went Super League at that time. And he went in, he got starting five there. And at one stage, it was him and Scotty. And I just thought that was the fastest point guard duo I've ever seen, ever, because he's the only one that was faster than Scotty. Scotty was more in control. Okay. Scotty could probably shoot a little bit better, but I think Stevie was faster. And Stevie taking charges, everything you talk about, denial, defense, running ahead and trusting that your point guard was going to get you the ball. Stevie for work rate was probably, I think you'll ask anyone, they won't, they won't disagree. Stevie was probably the hardest worker. And then he went to America. I mean, he, he only played maybe four or five years to start, and then he, he went to America. Um, and I think he's in Florida now and still playing recreation pickup stuff. But definitely the hardest worker. Very nice. So obviously, obviously you bring you bring Mr. Scotty up there. Um, I'm sure he might have one or two things to say about some of them comments, but we, we have him coming up soon in a couple of weeks. So I'm sure I'll get his side of things. Yes. You know how Mr. Competitive Scotty is. <laughs> yes. 
Absolutely. So that leads me on to it, on to on to the next topic, really. And Scott, you might come into this, especially knowing them. Um, who's the biggest mess or a joker you've ever come across? Well, believe it or not, you're talking about Scott. I haven't coached Scotty yet. I, haven't, I know we've had him for that short six month, six week preseason, but I Scotty was always star, so I haven't actually coached him yet. But he's still on my five, and we'll talk about later. Um, but uh, messers, again, I think it's people that have that life balance. You don't want guys who mess up out too much that they bring at the training, but still are friendly and good chat and keep the atmosphere up. And particularly with our teens, um, we had um, uh, no, no pros. And we, at, at that stage in National League, um, a couple of teams were bringing in pro Americans because you were allowed American. And then they had one or two Europeans because the Bosman rule had came open. So you, we did have times where, where it was tough and there was boys who lifted us. And I would say Dave McCune in the later days is um, a local player for us and always played nationally. But the ones in the old days that got the big minutes that probably have more reputation, I'd say Simon Kennedy. Simon Kennedy was a great worker during sessions, uh, one on all Ireland and St. Gauls as well as a player in football. So you can tell how much work he, he did. He was an All-Iron winner in football, but he also then won All-Irons with us in the basketball. Um, a great shooter, came from St. Gauls, um, but had a great balance to him, had a great team atmosphere, a great attitude where it was everything on the court, but afterwards, even if there was fights or fisticuffs, he mm -hmm. was the man that bring them together and have everyone a laugh, have a story, have a joke, um, and something I could never do. I could never tell a story or have a joke but Simon had a story for every occasion and helped me through. Obviously, when I, because you know how competitive I am, when I made mistakes, it would be Simon was probably, with him and McCotter, probably the two that were the best jokers. No, that's good. And obviously, it does does help, like, as you said, like, either ease tension or, you know, bring teams together or have a bit of morale. Or it's, it's always great to have a laugh at a session when it's obviously appropriate. It's not when you're trying to demonstrate something, but it, it does help the mood or it helps the environment, especially, I think. So moving on to go from that into something else. So I want to talk about who was your toughest opponent as a player or, or as a coach or that there's always seems to be for anyone you talk to, there's always that one team in your league that you just always knew had had the, your number over you or you just always knew it was going to be that tough, close, tight game? There's no hesitation. Liam McKill and Balna. Every, <laughs> every year. My one year that I played Super League, I, I remember my move. I, I, as I said, I barely got any court time because I had all these great players above me. And I, made, I killed McStay on a crossover. I had faked out Liam McKeel. Um, on a pump fake on my one-two. And as I said, I was athletic and I thought I was going to bound and get a left-hand left. And we had a crowd. We had six, 700 at the match in Queens. Hell of an atmosphere. Dior Marsh was on the far side of the key. He was on the, he was outside the key. I am almost sure of it. And I thought I was going to look great. And Dior Marsh just glided over and put the ball through the wall. And you don't even know how far the wall is away from the basket but he embarrassed me and that's the only time I ever got blocked um but he embarrassed me and then when I turned into a coach they went down to National League at the exact same time as us so he was there and Bana as well being great hosts in a great club they were always in the top and always beating us at key points and I think 
if it wasn't for Bala, I do think we could have had three or four more titles. Um, but the way they played, all the McKeels, the Oromars, McStay, and then a new young crop came through with them to help their bench. Um, they were always the, what we wanted to beat. Even when Liam was playing, I think he had 40 and he was still playing at an elite level um, easily. Um, but also great men and again that community sense. Balna were always great hosts and helped us help me get better. So there is no doubt. There was other teams that had ups and downs, um, such as Tolka, um, you know, but Balna were always there. Always. Always nice to have a nice friendly bit of rivalry as well. It, it adds to the mix, really, doesn't it? Yeah. So Obviously, obviously, we can look at this two ways. So normally, I have this one here. It's like, who was the coach that got the most out of you as a player? Or we can look at it in regards to your coaching side because obviously you were lucky enough and fortunate enough, to, as you said, to work with some of the greats or legends up on basketball in Northern Ireland. Or who was who was the mentor that got the most out of you as a coach? As a player, I had a different coach nearly every year just because of the, and that's end up how I ended up coaching because no coach was consistent. So um, we had Tom. Tom was probably my best coach who took Super League for a year um, um, and helped me out a lot. As a mentor, as I said, because our club was new, I really had no one to guide me through. So what I had was a lot of people giving me little bits um, and as I've already said, um, we had a lot of Mr. McCrory, um, uh, Paul McCrory from St. Malachy's, um, helped me when we played them. Uh, Mr. McKee would probably be one of the biggest influences from Balamina, Frankie Alone from Dungannon. Every one of these people always sat down, helped me out, talked to me, um, and got through. But I'd say the biggest influence was Al Marshall from Dungarvan Caps and Al, Al's in America, but he still does um, um, the national camp uh, now in Gordonstown. But Coach Al made big efforts for me um, and really helped me love coaching and decide to stick with coaching instead of playing and refereeing. And there was opportunities to travel and become an international. I was one of the first ones on the pathway for referees when I was 16, and there was opportunities there to travel. And, and see the world um, refereeing. Um, obviously, you have an itch to want to get playing again, and that itch never goes away. But Al really helped me see that I could be quite a good coach um, and really enthused me and probably meant to me, even though I only had him for a month, a year, um, because I was always only getting a little bit from everyone. Actually, mm -hmm. a whole month with Al was fantastic, and he was really good. It's cool. And obviously, <laughs> If you're just getting little bits here and there, like you're obviously going to be a sponge, like especially if you, you know, they're at this level and you know, once someone above above you at that level that you look up to, you're obviously automatically going to listen um and take everything on board they have and run with it and then obviously put your own nice little spin on it. So it's 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 great to obviously get different voices as well. And I think the sport's changing so much that you can yeah. get advice from everyone. There's different, but it'd be different countries and different styles or even coaches from different sports. I think it's such a sport that, that is changing so much that you have to be willing to change and say, yes, I know that's the way we did it 10 years ago, but things have changed. And if you don't listen and learn, you're, you're going to go out of date pretty quickly. And, you know, 
you don't want to be put to the side. You do want to stay there. You still want to get better. And, and, and if you want to get better, I think there's the opportunities there in Basketball Ireland. And at the tutors meetings at the moment, you're seeing a big effort for the tutors to see what way we want to lead now, um, being led by Kieran O'Sullivan. Um, and you see that big interest in making sure we're helping the coaches go the right way. And it's great to see, and obviously, like like for us, stuff we've talked about, or like obviously see what Basketball is doing now, and like you can see them bringing external influences in. Like obviously, if you look at Pete Madison, Kev Foley, like in regards to the SNC work that they're doing, and then yeah. obviously you're looking at other influences to bring it in. Like they're they're looking to bring in specialists in other areas to help our sport grow and get better and develop and and produce an all round athlete, and not just you know a really good athlete in regards to like we need to look at the mental side, you know, physiology, and we need to look at obviously psychology. And I think they're massive things that, you know, have been started with some coaches a couple of years ago and some have not adopted them. But obviously if it's going to come in from the organization from the top down approach, it's just going to make everything better for us. Absolutely. So moving on. So what do you think is your best attribute as either a player or a coach? Um, as a player, I knew I couldn't shoot, so I wasn't greedy. Everyone loves some of the passes, and I played defense, and I took charges and stuff like that. So I think as a player, um, that was it. I I just didn't want to lose ever, and I just made sure the right person got the ball in the right spot. I had no ego. That meant me sitting on the bench and cheering and just training hard. I did that, and um, I was happy with that. That helped us win, and that's why I got into coaching. As a coach, I hope... The best quality is I don't get distracted by the short term. And the easiest way to explain that is if someone should have been going with the left hand, I don't celebrate that they went up with the right hand and scored. I'd want them to try to go with their left hand during training. And a year down the line, now that player's twice as good because now they can go right and left. Defense can't guard them and they sag off. Some coaches may... Um, want them to score that shot even if it is with the strong hand um and i think i think long term in anything and and i talked about it i'll allow you to make mistakes and that's what training's for and hopefully then in the long term that's going to come good for us in matches so i like to think i have long-term thinking i think is hopefully the best thing there might be other things but, but i think that's my top quality i'm not upset in short-term things and obviously, I've seen that firsthand and first evidence with our with our national league sessions last year. But obviously, you know, for me, what I've seen from you is obviously to tie into your long termness is I think your planning and how you build out a plan to look long term in regards what we need to do this year, this year, this year, and it's all with that long term objective in place. So I think it's a couple of things that filter into that for you. Oh, thank you. I do think planning. I you don't need a lot of planning but you do need to plan. I don't think, I think, I think there's a lot of people come out with books and books and books and stuff, but you've got to have objectives for the season um, and objectives for the sessions. They don't need to be pages and pages of work. And it does. And the only thing I would say to coaches, it might be only five, 10 minutes the night before, but just do a little bit of planning and it just makes your sessions run a lot smoother. And I'm at the stage now where I virtually we do the planning just in the car and the way I know my long-term objectives. I know what I want out of the session. And then I'd be just planning my session because I've got that two-hour drive down yeah. where I plan what I'm going to be doing, exactly what way the session's going to flow. 
Um, but there is that planning phase and people then can see why you're doing what. Yeah. So yeah. you should be able to explain, we are doing this skill, this drill, um, or this game to improve this, do you know? And they've got to see that and there's got to be a sales pitch to get the players on board. Yeah, no, very much so. And like, I think, I think obviously, like if you have a plan or have, you know, objectives for your session, short-term and long-term, it gives you that better structure to your session going forward or going into it, you know what you want to accomplish or achieve. Um, and then obviously with that, you still need to have the element of a little bit of flexibility and a little bit of fluidness because, you know, as we seen last year, when we were lucky enough to train for that limited time, like it was a constant adaption. We always were having to adapt. And we always had to change or be fluid because things would happen, you know, like, like I remember one of the sessions we had in Gormans then, like literally things changed as we were about to start a session. You're like, yeah, I remember. What? What's going on? <laughs> Just the pods and the restrictions, yeah. you have to be flexible, I remember. Yeah. I know. But I think that obviously shows like, you know, your years of experience of being able to adapt and being able to change. And you just were like, yeah, that's grand. And I'm like, what? No, 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 it, it doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't compute. <laughs> But that takes the research for the first 20 years so you know what drills suit what numbers and what you want to get out of the drills and the sessions and stuff like that. It does, And again, that's a little bit of prep, you know, first 20 years where I'm lucky now that I can almost do it in the car on the way down and plan it thoroughly. But there was 20 years of, oh, I need to research this specific drill to help those skills, whether it be a drive and kick thing, whether it be a transition. You know, you look up what suits and what you want out of it. No, definitely. So with that, moving on, do you or did you have any like pre-game rituals or habits or something you must do before you play or coach? I am not superstitious at all. I'm a statistician. I, I believe in math. The only thing I do now is I try to coach less during the game. And I think the players need to learn to play. So to shut me up, I drink a lot. So I go to the bathroom before. I probably have two liters by half time. I run to the bathroom at half time. I'm probably drinking two. And it really is just to keep me quieter because I've got to let the guys play more. And it's something I learned. I was trying to control everything in my first five years. And I've been letting go bit by bit by bit. And as I said, the perfect games now for me is where I trust my players completely. And I'm now sitting down thinking my work's done. Let these guys play. They can fix every solution. They can see the mismatches. They can adjust defensively. Um, and they run it. And that's when I'm the happiest, when I think I've done my job. So, yes, until then, I need water just to keep me quieter. Um, so I drink a lot. So I go to the bathroom. That's the only thing. And, I, I, like, I know I personally have seen, and I'm sure other people have seen in the club, like, the, the back of your car is like a little tuck shop. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but as you said, like, obviously you have that lovely journey from north to south and, you know, it takes a bit of time. So you have to obviously make sure you have the correct fuel with you. Yeah. No, no, I'm trying to stop all that. It's not fruit. It is. It's not sweets anymore. It's fruit on the way down. Well, even, even last season, it wasn't. It wasn't. I would say tuck shop, but tuck shop, I just think, put a nice comic, wasn't it? It was very much fruit and nuts and water and, and you know, like healthy bars. It wasn't wasn't probably like my car, like full of Haribo sweets. But, <laughs> I'm hey. trying. I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm determined to get down to see 11 something on the thing for the start of the season again. So I'm down to, I'm doing that six hours a day diet now thing where I'm I only eating 12 and six. Intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. Nice. So I'm trying that now. 
and just to catch myself up um, and get us in shape. <laughs> so moving on to what's going to hurt some people's feelings. So because we've gone with the two aspects, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a little curveball here at you. So the best five you have played with and the best five you have coached. Oof, oof. Right, so played with, I'm not going to do um, played with proper because I've played with better players during camps. So I'm actually going to pick the five favourites that I've played with at camps. And yep. my criteria about this, because you pre-told me this, was people who play as hard as a real game, mm-hmm. and, but aren't greedy and understand everyone. The good team is to take good shots and make good passes, but they're playing hard in defence and they're working hard in transition. So my five, a point, I've got Scotty that's the only time I haven't coached him yet but I've played with him in camps and the way he plays in training with you now is the way he plays in rec sessions and coaches sessions at nights and I presume it's just the way he and I love that and that's the way I played so I have Scotty there but again not doesn't take bad shots takes good shots makes good passes everyone enjoys playing with them um shooting guard is Paul Cummings uh Paul before again injuries take away some of these people but Paul in his prime when he was coming back over and doing camps was probably our, our top Irish. He started as a shooting guard for the Irish team um, and was a great shooting guard, great defender, run the floor well, great attacker, but again, a great teammate, fun to play with good shots, um, good passes and worked hard. And that's all you really want on a, um, a coach's game. You want the, yeah, a challenge that it goes... I'm going with two girls as my forwards under the same proviso, but Neve Dwyer and Norda O'Reilly are probably two of the top Irish talents we have. Um, and they are top end. And again, way they play in an outdoor one-on-one session will be the way they play in an international five-on-five session. Um, both of them were great teammates. And I'm just going to be repeating myself, but you know, defenders, runners, you know what I mean yeah. and then the big man in the middle is Jason Clean. Jason is our workhorse and keeping that I don't know how you keep that free and fit and going at this age but he's a workhorse he's really trimmed down and got himself lean when he hit his 30s and it's extended his career immensely um, playing internationally everywhere but even in the coaches sessions a great great um, big man that you can feed the ball to and again, if he gets double teamed, he'll kick it out to you. And if he doesn't, he'll just rip whoever is guarding, whether it be a pro-American, he'll just take him on, it'll be no problem. So that would be my five. So there you go, Scotty, Paul, me, Orla, they all can hit threes. And Jason can hit, what, two, three foot inside the three-point line. Um, um, so they all can shoot, they all play D, they all pass, um, and they all run quite well. I mean, even Jason for his size will run that floor for you. Yeah, as, as we did when we actually had a friendly last year and we got the chance to play a friendly, I think we left Jason open twice and he just, one he hit a tree and one he just blew past and just went straight into the lane and finished. So, like, he quietly had 24 points and we didn't even notice. I think he, yeah, I think yeah. he texted me and said, gosh, <laughs> it's like a layup for right there. So I think he had 24 points and we didn't even notice. It was just on the floor and finishing and taking the open shot. But it's how he goes about his business. I've always loved for for such a big man to be that size. He's he is mobile. It's it's scary to see how mobile it is. But like he just goes under the radar. And you said he pops up with twenty four points, and you're like, 
sorry, yeah. was he on the court for that long? Yeah. You know, uh, Orla, Orla um, is the same. Like Paul, Neve, and Scotty, you notice because they'll be ball handling a lot more. But Orla's the same type. You don't notice, and Orla will have thirty points easily, easily. Nice. Yeah, this is great. Can't wait to see international basketball now. Talking about those players, but I'd love to see international basketball this summer again and get us all G'd up for a league next year. And obviously, with that, like it's great that they announced the, the small leagues is going to go ahead here for us. So that's yeah. obviously a, a great stepping stone or a great start for us, obviously, going back and, and then obviously the rest of the club clubs going back. So we have two questions left. <laughs> the next one's going to be an interesting one. So you're down two points in the game. Who do you turn to for your buzzer-beaten winning shot? Is it anyone in the yeah. country? Well... We'll look at it in the context of someone you've coached. All oh, right. So I thought it was anyone in the country. I was going to go Lorcan Murphy. But get both answers. All right. Well, it was Lorcan Murphy. Okay. Um, I would say just at the moment, um, I get down to the cup finals and I watch it. I think the streaming that they had the last couple of years has really allowed us to watch Irish basketball more because we're star, the only club up here. You know, you weren't getting to see that much Super League action. But I think the streaming services over the last couple of years have really been good. And I know that he isn't a great shooter or a fantastic out-and-out ball handler, but what he is is immensely good at everything, and he's immensely good in the clutch. I just think that he is working. Now, I know it's mainly off-the-ball stuff, but he just seems to come through all the time. Whether it be a tip-in dunk, a backdoor cut, a dart-in for a steal. So on the ball with two points left. I still think he can get to the basket. If no one guards him, he'll finish. But he's that type of guy that if someone does drop in and play help, he'll find that guy for the three and kick it out for a winner for the three. I know I could have picked a shooter and a better ball handler, but I just think he's a winning guy that does winning plays. I really, mm -hmm. and like when I take my son to games and we watch it um, on Facebook Live that well, two years ago now, you know, that, I kept on saying, watch him off the ball, watch his work rate. But that would be the man I'd be pointing out at this day and age. I just love watching him play, his energy. You just want people of energy. If you have people of energy, everything else will come together, I think. Uh, so I'd pick Lurkin. Maybe not the most skilled, but I think the best winner at the moment that has really helped Tepelug over the last five years, with, as well as the big man in the middle and their Americans and all that stuff, I do think Lurkin is the key. And he, had, he did win the MVP in the last cup. I think he won MVP in the last cup final. I think so. Yeah. I think he deserved it. Um, yeah, so I'm going to pick Lurkin. Okay. Now, obviously, someone you've coached with, someone you need to turn to. That would have to go back to that. You've already kind of asked the best player, and because he was so unpredictable, but he could do everything right, it would have to be Ben Sanchez. Again, um, as as just he was just a step above um, just because of the system he'd gone through. I think, and so I would say Ben, as when I was coaching, who was super, super clutch for us? Super, super. Was there anyone that was all of that level of Ben? There was no one of that level. There was other players that, that I really, and Fergal Toner was one that really came up with big shots and stuff like that, but Ben was just another level, I think, but maybe Fergal, uh, who moved to star again, would be one of those ones that would hit the big shots. It's going to be interesting now when we go back to training. <laughs> I can't tell you. I haven't coached your guys yet. We can't make any judgments with our players until the season. Um, 
you know? So I'm talking about the players I've played in matches or coached in matches. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I did miss a question, so it might fit in nicely for us. So is there any advice you would give to our younger members of our Wolf Pack? My big thing always is the long term. And I know people will join late or you're behind because children start playing at five, you know what I mean? And you may start playing at 10 or 15. Um, and I'd say, look, it's all about working. You'll get out of it what you put in. And if you spend time in your own doing the work, coaches, all coaches come out with the same stuff. Some coaches then take more sessions and you get more opportunities to train. And that makes those teams better. But you have no excuse yourself. You can go out and train as much as you want yourself. And even if you start six years, seven years later than other people, I guarantee you, if you're going out, you know, I went, I was lucky. My school teacher, who was a rugby coach, uh, basically let me in when school opened at half six. So he said, look, school's opening, door's in. I've given you permission. So I got there probably half seven most days and they allowed me not to register. And that's how I caught up. I did early morning. I did lunchtime and I did after schools. And that's how I caught up from being an idiot who played rugby and couldn't change direction, couldn't bounce a ball, certainly couldn't shoot a ball. And I got semi-competitive in a year. Um, and I was able, lucky enough, to train the Super League. Although not good, they allowed me to play because I didn't make mistakes and I had that work ethic. And I said, although people will have height and people will have experience, you can always make it up with work. Yeah. Always. And, and for me... For me as well, personally, it's always been about work ethic. It's it's always, you know, there's the old-fashioned tale of, you know, you know what happens when talent stops working, hard work takes over. And you see it with pro players or you see it with, you know, elite athletes. Like, I think for me, the biggest version of that is, like, if you look at, you know, Seth Curry, like, he was completely written off and he just worked his ass off, like, and he just worked and worked and worked and worked and... Yeah. I think when you get to that elite level, you know, it's easy to go, oh, he's so successful now and people don't see the 10 years of hard work. Yeah. And I say even within our own club, you look at Scotty and how late he started. Yeah. Um, and um, he, he'll tell you that story when you get him on. But Scotty started it. And don't tell me that was natural talent. No, that was work ethic. Every bit of him is work ethic. When it comes to diet and him restricting himself, training, doing the weights, doing the cardio, uh, doing the shooting, doing the ball handling. It's all work ethic. And even though, you know, the man is getting on there in years, um, he, he still has a work ethic that makes him a National League, Super League talent. And like, I, think, I think you've hit it right in the head. Like from, I, I've been lucky enough to, to work under Scotty at the, at the academy up north and he's just his work ethic. Like even when, when he came down to us and I was able to see it firsthand and, you know, even talking to him, it's just his desire, his work ethic. It's just, it's a, it's admirable. And like, as you said, like he's, he's at a nice age, but he's still super competitive. He's still there. He still trains hard and you know, he's no days off yeah. and he just works and works. And I think that's, that's huge testament. And it'd be great for our younger players to see his work ethic. Yep, absolutely. So we've come to the last question. Um, so who would you like to see next on the Wolfcast? You gotta have Emer on, don't you? I presume that was one of the ones you were planning to hit. Yeah, that's... I would say, although you have a lot of players with great Irish experience and all that stuff, when you want to look at across the waters, international, within your own club, you have a lot of good experiences. But I would say the most, um, what's the word? diverse 
experience is probably Emer. Yeah. Um, so Emer is is in the is in the process. It is being worked. Um, I need to send some contracts to Emer. Um, <laughs> and she's probably far better telling stories than me. I'm very factual. Emer will come up with great stories for you. Hey, look, it's 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 all about learning about people's, you know, pasts and their journey and what got them here and how they get here. And we all take different paths. And that's what for me is this is all about is showing people's pasts and how you can have, you know, different challenges. Or, you know, if we talk about Emer, like, you know, I don't think as many people in the club know about Emer's past or history or, you know, with yeah. all them. So you know, I keep that. And then obviously with, with Scotty, like we talked about Scotty and, you know, Scotty's journey and how Scotty came to draw the wolves. And, but it's, it's learning that from where he started to where he is now. And it, it's sharing them experiences. Yeah. No, I agree. I'll be good. So Gav, thanks very much for joining me on the Wolfcast. Thank you very much indeed. We'll see you all very soon, I hope. Fingers crossed. Um, it is great now that obviously some very younger, younger ages are back. Um, yeah. So hopefully you might get a you know your passport to be able to come back down south. I'll I'll get the, I'll get the translator involved for you. Uh, well, I'm getting a second shot and a week and a half, and so I should be all good soon. Sound. Look, thanks very much, Gav. Bye bye. So there you have it, the very first episode of the Wolfcast. I was delighted to be joined by Coach Gav. It's nice to have a chat and a catch up with Gav. Thank you all for tuning in. The Wolfcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. Please like and subscribe and tune in for next week's episode with another very special guest of the Wolfpack. Thank you. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys.